What's up, Cowboys Nation, and welcome to Episode 8 of Inside the Cowboys. I'm your host, John Williams, and joining me today to talk Dallas Cowboys training camp is Bobby Belt. Uh, Bobby's an on-field producer for NFL Network and game day reporter for SB Nation. You can also find him on Cowboys Cast as the host of that podcast. Hey, Bobby, thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing, doing pretty good, man. How was Oxnard? Oh, it wasn't bad. I got burned pretty bad on Saturday. I discovered... Uh that you can actually sweat off sunscreen. I didn't know that before. And, um, yeah, didn't know about that whole reapplication process. And so I got tortured pretty bad Saturday, but uh, you live and you learn. And uh, did, it was pretty good outside of that. Awesome, man. It always looks really beautiful, the pictures that people share out there. Oh, yeah, no, I, that's, I mean, I am, uh, I am admittedly one who is not much of a traveler. I kind of park where I'm at, and so that was actually – my first time in California, and um, yeah, it was great. Looked, uh, it, it was you know really aesthetically pleasing to the eyes and things like that. And uh, didn't get up over you know seventy eight. I think the whole time we were out there. But uh, oddly enough, even though it's not humid or anything, it's it's kind of a uh, a little bit of a steamy seventy eight out there. That sun really does start beating down on you in those afternoons. Yeah, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of shade as far as uh, where practice is being held. No, no, that's why you have those trendy uh, Brian Broaddus bucket hats and things. <laughs> that's right. So if you're ever planning on going out to training camp, make sure you go to DallasCowboys.com and the, the pro shop and get you one of those buckets. Yeah, hey. and enough uh, sunscreen for reapplication throughout the day. That's right, that's right, man. Hey, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about training camp. You know, a lot of the focus so far this offseason has been on the contracts, uh, but I want to I want to talk about Kellen Moore. What are the things that you're noticing about Kellen Moore's kind of take on um, what many think are are going to be still similar aspects of Jason Garrett's offense? So I, I think the the biggest attribute of Kellen Moore's, and and he talked about this with Sean and RJ over on 105.3 Fan, that's the flagship station of the Cowboys in Dallas, and uh, Kellen made this point that. They like a lot of the plays in their playbook. There, there's nothing wrong with a lot of their plays in their playbook. They're just trying to figure out how can they, you know, best maximize those plays. How can they be most deceptive with those plays? Um, if you look at what the Rams draw up, you know, they're not drawing up a whole bunch of, uh, you know, complex, uh, you know, insanely creative uh, things post snap. I, I mean, certainly Sean McVay is a very creative individual, and I don't want to make it sound like. Uh, you know, they're, they're lazy out there in their offense, or it's basic, it's a bunch of stop routes, it's not. But right. um, it, it's also not reinventing the wheel. Where, where they do really well is, you know, their, their formations and then their personnel and the way they set things up on the line of scrimmage and uh, their pre-snap movement. And uh, the Cowboys, you typically never saw a lot of pre-snap movement with the Cowboys. And Scott, during Scott Linehan's time, you would often see maybe a receiver would get sent in motion from, you know, uh, they're outside at the X or, or the Z or whatever, and maybe they get motioned in towards the near slot. They don't even go across the entire line of scrimmage, or maybe you'd have a tight end moving from one side of the formation to the other, or the uh, favored one, of course, is just that fake jet sweep at the snap. Um, that, that was pretty much it. Um, with this, you definitely see a whole lot more pre-snap movement. We, we saw a lot of this during OTAs. There was a limit on how much we were going to be allowed to talk about it. Um, per Cowboys media policy until they hit camp and everybody was able to see these things out in the open. But um, there, there certainly has been a lot of this throughout OTAs where you'll see, I, I made this point to a couple people already, that the, the biggest difference you'll notice and something that I don't think you've ever seen the Cowboys do under Scott Linehan or Jason Garrett is um, Kellen Moore has this tendency to 
send uh, you know motion in both directions before the snap. So you can have a receiver run in motion to the right side, stop, and then the tight end will go in motion to the left as soon as they've stopped. And uh, you know they're really kind of playing with what the defense has seen uh, before snap. Um, Chris Richard last year when he came on board had said that uh, their their entire thing is uh, on the defensive side of the ball is that they want to make things as difficult for the offense uh, at the snap as possible. And Kellen Moore kind of has that same philosophy from the other side of the ball in that, you know, he talked to John Gruden during his quarterback camp when he was coming out as a, a prospect out of Boise State, and he said one of the things they try and do at Boise is try and make things as confusing as possible for the opposing defense. They want to give them as many looks as they can, including putting, you know, tackles out wide at receiver. Um, we haven't seen that quite yet with the Cowboys, but uh, you definitely are seeing a lot more uh, just, you know, that same sort of, you know, look over here and don't notice that, you know, the rabbit I'm pulling out of the hat isn't really, you know, a rabbit in the hat or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, the biggest thing you're seeing with Kellen Moore is just there seems to be a greater emphasis on moving the ball downfield. That's the biggest post-snap difference. And then pre-snap is just, you know, the, the trickery, the, the movement and trying to, uh, you know, kind of distract. Yeah, and, you know, it, I think that's one of the things that probably was missing a lot under Scott Linehan was just the um, idea of trying to take advantage a little bit of, of the defense in creating mismatches and and you know the Cowboys just kind of lined up and did their thing and not really tried to manipulate the defense anyway and it, it, I think that's kind of a breath of fresh air and it do you think it's something that can help the Dallas Cowboys offense kind of take the next step in 2019 sure I mean anything that you can do to uh better disguise what it is you're going to do on a given play is going to give you a better chance of success um and I think that Kellen Moore is definitely more of the new school thought of uh you know that you know this is a passing league now and i think he's a a more uh i think he's a bigger proponent of passing on first down i think that there's a little bit of this idea and i think you referenced it earlier that uh, jason garrett is going to still get in the way of this and this is ultimately going to be garrett's show i I don't think he meddles to the point that a lot of people think he does i think that uh, you know, a lot of the concepts are his, and, and some of the big decisions are going to be his. But overall, I think he does give a lot of these coaches, you know, autonomy. And, um, you know, he talked about that at his press conference, that it's important to give these guys their, you know, free reign to uh, do what they got to do. And John Kitna talked about that, that he's very demanding of the coaches. He wants the coaches to perform at a high level, but, you know, it's on them to perform, and it's on them to, you know, kind of run the show. And so I, I think that is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, they are playing within, uh, you know, the confines of whatever the system is. Um, but there, there's always lots you can do to kind of finagle that and get creative with those things. The problem the last few years is that you had a, a guy who was not a big fan of pre-snap motion in Scott Linehan. You had a guy who was, uh, you know, a, somebody who, who still believed heavily on, uh, you know, the run game on first downs. And, uh, you know, there was, I think, a, a lack of trust in what the quarterback was able to do. And I think that lack of trust, I mean, you can't have that. If you're committed to Dak Prescott, you're going to have to reset that because, uh, you know, one of them was going to have to go. And if Dak was the guy you wanted to have long term, then you had to reset the coordinator because you can't have 
uh, that tandem working together and have there be that level of distrust. And, and there's a ton of trust between Dak Prescott and uh, Jason Garrett and Dak Prescott and Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott and John Kitna. And so I think that alone is going to remedy a lot of things. It's just from a chemistry standpoint going to help things. But I also think that they're going to open things up a little bit more for everybody and, and you'll see improvements. And a lot of what we're seeing kind of on Twitter and other social media, we don't really get a full glimpse of what happens in practice. But um, are the Dallas Cowboys really pushing the ball downfield as, as much as it looks um, I, I mean, you'll see in practice, it's hard to tell because, I mean, you're, you're just you're practicing things. Right. And so, you know, they, they may be practicing. They're kind of giving, you know, equal run to a lot of the things that they practice. So I don't think we're really going to know that until you get into game day. Um, and, and you may not even see it in the preseason, as is normally the case. Things are a lot more vanilla. Even these days in those third preseason games that are supposed to be the dress rehearsals, things aren't that complex. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, there, there are still portions of practice that, or uh, portions like walkthrough and, uh, you know, install and things like that that we're not allowed to, to shoot, we're not allowed to report on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there are things that, you know, they're going to explore in that area that, that we're not necessarily going to see up front. And, and so I think what you're seeing up front is just their basic you know, you know, on the public is just their basic routine of practicing all the things that they need to practice that's in their playbook. So I don't know that we're, you know, seeing a greater emphasis on, on moving the ball downfield in practice, but I, I think that is a greater emphasis for them, and I think we're going to see that. But in terms of practice, I think you're seeing it done more effectively in practice than it's been done in recent years. But I don't know that you're seeing a greater volume of it. Because, um, I mean, we've seen in years past stuff like Tavon Austin's viral catch last year over the top of Charvarius Ward and things. I mean, they, they push the ball downfield. We see those things in practice. But I, I think you're seeing it with greater efficiency now in practice this year. And I think that you're going to see more of it come game day uh, when that rolls around. And is that kind of one of the things that's really stood out about Dak Prescott so far in training camp and this offseason is the kind of efficiency in which they're kind of able to complete passes downfield? Um, yeah, I think that's probably the, what's been most notable for people is that he just looks more comfortable throwing the ball downfield, particularly down the sideline um, and to the corners and things like that. Um, I know Brian Broaddus has said the thing that stood out more to him is how he's throwing some of those intermediate routes across the middle of the field. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that what just stands out about Dak more than anything else this off or, or during this camp and, and during this, you know, offseason training period has been uh, more just the confidence and, and the swagger and the, uh, you know, air of this is my time. Um, and I think that you're seeing him really come into his own as a leader and, and as, uh, you know, understanding what it takes to be the quarterback of America's team. I, I think you're really seeing him uh, hit his stride with that. And, and so mentally, I think he's, I've never had any questions about him mentally, but I think mentally he's in the best place he's been at in the four years he's been in Dallas. Well, even Jason Witten can't, you know, he's, he's mentioned in interviews that this is Dak's team. And, you know, for the guy who'd kind of been the leader for that, of that team for so many years to really vocally say that it, it says a lot about where Dak is kind of as a player and as a person. And, and yeah, like you said, there's been no doubt about, uh, Dak's ability to lead and his kind of mental makeup to lead the Dallas Cowboys. But it's really exciting to hear that, you know, the, the team is really continuing to follow behind him, even though maybe Jason Witten has come back after a year off. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's not just been wit. Um, you've heard Zach Martin say it. You've heard Travis Frederick say it. You've heard Sean Lee say it, that, like, you know, this is Dak's team. And you're hearing it a lot in in the things that Dak is saying. The opening press conference that he gave in Oxnard uh, last Saturday, it really stood out to me as I was standing there and as I went back and transcribed it, just how much every answer was somehow being tied, it seemed like, back to uh, that he you know, he has responsibility as the leader of the team to do it. Um, I, I mean, you look at the first question on Zeke, and he said, my job right now is just to come out here and make sure this team is getting better. I'm making sure I'm getting better myself and everybody out here. That's our main focus. I'm so many. He's talking about things as team there. Uh, when they when they follow up with more stuff about Ezekiel Elliott, he says that his only goal and his only focus is just to come here and get better and make sure that he's getting his teammates better. And then, you know, when they talk about his, his contract, he says he's just focusing on getting better, being the best player that I can be, and make sure everybody around me is as well. There's a great emphasis from him this year on being responsible for what everybody else on the roster is doing to improve. And so I, I think that's a big step, and I think it's something maybe that's been assumed, and maybe you've heard it in, in an answer here or there, but there's definitely a focus on it in the things that he's saying nowadays. Uh, in almost every answer, it, it really permeates what he's saying. Yeah, Dak is just, he's just ready to go. He's hes always been a really hard worker, kind of even from when he first showed up as a rookie and he was the fourth string quarterback. You know, people, you know, noticed that there was a vast difference between what he looked like as a college quarterback and then what he w- looked like that 2016 season. And you can't get there without being a really hard worker and being somebody who's going to, you know, do the work um, off the field, in the, in the practice sessions, in the film room. And so, you know, you know it, it's exciting to see that, you know, Dak Prescott is continuing to kind of develop even in that aspect of his game because he's always been really a really good worker. He's always been a strong leader. People have been really willing to follow him. Um, and so, you know, kind of seeing everything develop with Dak, not just the, the passing attributes, but even the intangibles um, is really exciting to see. And I think that's the reason why you're not concerned about paying him a big contract because he's not a guy that's going to get that money in and kind of rest on his laurels. He's always going to be working really hard. Um, sure, and, and, and one of the things that I, I think is to that point about giving him a bigger contract, and this is the point I've made. It's tough to make this one on Twitter, so I don't make it too much on Twitter. Um, I try and, you know, bite-size it down as much as I can, but, it, but here's the bigger thing is that I've heard a lot of people say, even the supporters will say something to this effect that, uh, you know, and I know this. I, I've heard people who like Dak and think Dak is a good quarterback. They'll say something to the effect of, well, you know, he, he's probably never going to be the guy who does X, Y, Z. Or, or, you know, he's probably always going to be the guy who X, Y, Z. I, I, don't, I just think it's incredibly uh, presumptuous, bordering on ridiculous to think that we know what Dak Prescott's always going to be after three years in the league. And I think if you look at some of the things were, that, were, that could have been said about Matt Stafford or Matt Ryan or, or Aaron Rodgers or... I mean, Aaron Rodgers, hell, he wasn't even really playing after three years. But, I, I mean, in general, I think if you look at guys that have had that tag slapped on them about what they're always going to be after three years, it's never stuck quite to those guys. It's never been said quite about those guys because those are generally higher picks. They're, they're first-round type players. And so I think people always think there's a ceiling to go. And it's like, you know what? No, Dak has a ceiling, too. And I think we get lost sometimes in the fact that he was, you know, the 135th pick or whatever he was in the draft. And 
people then tend to say, like, because he surpassed their expectations so much now, their expectation is that this is his ceiling, and, and I don't think that's fair. I think what you've seen is an incredible amount of hard work and growth and, and things like that um, that only indicate that there's more room to grow. And, uh, you know, the only other person I can think of who's kind of been saddled with the same he'll kind of always be that kept getting it after everything he knocked down was Russell Wilson, who was also a third-round pick. Um, Dak, of course, was a fourth rounder, but I mean, just also was not a top, you know, 50 pick or whatever. And so I, I do think that there is a little bit of, uh, you know, short-sightedness to think you know what Dak Prescott's going to be for sure. You don't. And and uh, there's a lot of room, I think, to grow here. And, and there's a lot that we need to see before we determine, uh, you know, when he's hit his limit. Because so far, each year you're seeing him do things that are, are different and, and, and improving on things. And uh, you know, if the off-season reports are, are accurate and what we've seen out of practice is accurate and, and carries over into the season with some of his mechanics, that's just another thing that he's improving on. Yeah, and and I think that's really exciting to see for, for Dak. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, um, you put out a list uh, after you got done at training camp of kind of guys that had stood out to you, and you mentioned Blake Jarwin. Now, he's a guy that I've really been looking forward to to seeing how he would look in his second year, kind of getting more regular work. Um, what are the things that stood out about Blake Jarwin's game in, in your your week at training camp? I, I, I mean, he's, he's a really impressive athlete. He, he moves really well for his size. Um, he, he's an intelligent player. He's a, a, a smart guy. When you, whenever you talk to him after practice or anything, it's always uh, really evident how thoughtful he is, not just, you know, in, in his dealings with the media, but – in the way he approaches the game. Um, and so I, I, I'm a big fan of, of his mindset. I'm a big fan of what you see from him athletically. You know, he, he moves really well. Uh, his cuts are always really sharp. There's always good balance there. It's, it's quick. Um, and, I mean, he's catching everything thrown his way. He, he's not dropping anything. And so, I mean, it's, it's just a, an entire package that's really exciting. And, uh, you know, we all know that – the Cowboys had to have thought very highly of him to, you know, be willing to cut somebody to get him up on the active roster to avoid him going to Philadelphia when he was on the practice squad a couple mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, so, that's right. Uh, they, they think highly of him. Um, I know the Cowboys have uh, internally talked about their excitement about him during these offseason programs and that they're, uh, you know, really excited about what he can be and what he's showing right now. Um, you just need to see it continue to play out on the field um, but I think we saw a strong glimpse of it at the end of the season in the Giants game and then uh, continued solid play into the Seahawks game and then I think he was you know on the field like 50% of the time for the Rams game because that injury he had but um, overall uh, he's a guy who I think everybody can get really excited about for this year and beyond um, and, and somebody that I, I think is, is going to press the Cowboys to you know, make some decisions about who they want in at certain times when it comes to Jason Witten and Blake Jarwin. Jason Witten, uh, Brian Broaddus said this pretty well the other day. I thought Jason Witten is your, uh, you know, 15 yards and in guy, and, and Jarwin is the guy that can can do a little bit more for you down the field. And so uh, sometimes that's good to have on the field, at the, you know, at the same time. And so maybe that means that we're going to see a lot of Jarwin and Witten together, which two tight end sets is not the end of the world. I know a lot of people made that claim with – uh, Scott Linehan. The Cowboys actually, if you if you look at the formation and the personnel data, the Cowboys were in two tight end sets a lot less frequently than a, a lot of other teams, a lot of analytic heavy teams like the Eagles and the Patriots. And so I think that, uh, 
you know, we, we could see a lot of them on the field together, but, you know, certainly when they go to one tight end, I mean, I think Jarwin can potentially make it difficult on the Cowboys to roll with Witten over Jarwin, good as Witten does look after the year of rest. Yeah, according to, you know, Warren Sharp's football analytics, he, he had the Cowboys at like 70% of 11 personnel with, you know, running three wide receivers and one tight end in 2018. And so some of my concern is going to be that, um, you know, Jason Witten is going to get maybe all of those snaps and we're not going to get to see enough of Jar- of Jarwin in 11 personnel. Do you think those kind of, that kind of concern is maybe unfounded or? Um, no, I mean, I think Witten's such a competitor. He's going to make it tough to get him off the field, but um you know, I think that they've they've never really had anybody who could press Jason. I mean, even when you had Martellus Bennett, and Martellus obviously went on and became a pro bowler, or you had Scott Chandler who went on and had a solid career in Buffalo, or, you know, Anthony Fasano or anybody else, um, you know, it's typically been that they just can't ever crack the field as a young player. And, and so... They, they don't have the ability to grow and reach that potential. Jarwin now is coming off of a, a year where he was getting a lot of reps. And now I think it's going to be harder to just justify keeping Witten out there because before it was an experience and, you know, rawness from, from guys who were talented but, you know, maybe weren't, uh, you know, fully prepared to go out there and, and you know, play in crunch time. And, and that's not the case with Jarwin anymore. And so you have somebody with experience who knows what they're doing, who's also got a lot of talent, and this is the first time they've ever really had that behind Witten, and it's, you know, it could potentially make it very tough to keep Witten on the field in certain situations. Yeah, and, that, and that's a good thing because you know, for so long the team has been Jason Witten reliant, which was a good thing. But you know, as players age, you kind of have to have a backup plan, and um, you know, they they went draft after draft without really addressing the tight end position uh, until you know drafting Dalton Schultz last year. Um, but then, you know, seeing Blake and Blake Jarwin emerge a little bit and now Dalton well, Schultz. Well, 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 and I think, I think they addressed it because, I mean, you look at how many second-round tight ends they drafted over the years. It's just they then refused to actually give them the run and the experience they needed. Um, and so it was always a little puzzling to make those investments and do that. And then with the retirement of Witten, they were forced to do it. And so now it does present kind of an interesting uh, – new experience for Jason Witten where you've got somebody who's, who's talented and that they're excited about and does have experience and doesn't have much of a learning curve any longer being directly behind him. Right, right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break real quick uh, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about some of the wide receivers that have stood out to you. Uh, you're listening to Inside the Cowboys with Bobby Belt and I'm John Williams. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, and we're back inside the Cowboys with Bobby Belt. You can follow Bobby on Twitter at Bobby Belt Texas or TX. Um, make sure you go check out his work over at, on uh, Cowboys Cast. Uh, you got questions for him. He's got good answers. Uh, we're going to turn the page. We were talking about the tight ends in the last segment. We're going to look at some of the wide receivers. Um, you mentioned that Amari Cooper is a, a player that stood out to you. And, you know, they he and Dak Prescott really hit the ground running with their chemistry uh, in 2018. How have they been able to kind of take that from 2018 and continue to build on that chemistry in 2019? Uh, well, I mean, Amari Cooper's Amari Cooper. And so he's, you know, immensely talented. I know Jeff Cavanaugh over at 105 Fan always tracks, um, you know, the, the cornerback versus receiver one-on-ones. 
and uh, likes to see, you know, keep a, a chart of who won on the day and who lost, you know, what their record was in, in those one-on-ones. Um, he said the other day he was just going to stop charting Amari Cooper because he won every rep every time. There, there's nobody that can cover Amari Cooper. And so that's, you know, kind of the standard with Coop. He's, he's such a fantastic route runner. He, he's fast. He's, he's got great hands. Um, and so I think the, the bigger aspect of how that chemistry can improve is just Dak Prescott himself improving and, and touching up some of his issues um, with mechanics and things like that. And I think he's working on that. And so when those are cleaned up, you know, that's I feel like chemistry is such a very little part of it anyway at that point because Amari Cooper's always going to give you a, a good target to throw at. And so it's more of the, the chemistry thing is more something that I feel like is an issue when you've got a guy like Des Bryant who has a special ability, but it's a, a, a narrow ability of, you know, being a contested catcher and things like that. And that's where you have to kind of work on ball placement and, and what you're expecting from that guy and things like that. Um, Dak and Coop, I think they're also just pretty, you know, like-minded in their approach to the game and, and their seriousness about the game. And so I think that it's just, you know, just that having that good relationship off the field and, and respecting one another makes it easy to go out there and execute whatever they're going to do. Um, but it's also much easier to execute any of that when Amari Cooper's given you, you know, three, four yards of separation each throw you make. And so I, I think the bigger thing to seeing an improvement in, in their already strong connection is just, is Dak going to improve? Can, can Dak continue to build on, on his mechanics and, and the improvements that we've seen there? And if he can, then I think you're going to see even a better connection between the two of them, which was already really, really strong. Yeah, and, you know, again, part of the reason you don't worry so much about paying Dak Prescott's, you know, a big contract is because you're getting ready to pay Amari Cooper a big contract. And the, with the two of those moving forward in the offense, you're going to have a really nice connection for the next five, six-plus years into the future. Yeah, I mean, that's the hope. You know, uh, I, I think that when the Cowboys signed Des Bryant when they did, they thought that they'd have many more, you know, Romo to Des connections, and right. uh, they had very few of them after that. And so, and, uh, you know, it wasn't just about Romo's age. It was also about uh, Des kind of, you know, going downhill a little bit. And so certainly that's the hope, but that's also the concern um, when you do these types of deals. Um, but I think, yeah, overall, the way those two work, um, I mean, uh, Amari Cooper, who's played in the NFL a year longer than Dak Prescott, is also a year or two younger, I think. And so, uh, you know, they're definitely going to have the ability to grow and progress together, especially since, you know, the, the falloff for receivers isn't generally until into their 30s. Um, quarterbacks generally start playing their best ball actually late into their 20s, into their early 30s when, when their IQ is stronger. That's what you see consistently with guys like, you know, Romo and Peyton and Brady, and, and they start playing their best ball around 30. And then Matt Ryan and guys like that, because, you know, they don't lose as much physically. The, the position doesn't require as much physically from the rest of their body as other positions do, but their IQ only continues to grow. So you see them playing better ball into their 30s. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, if they can lock those two up, knowing that Dak can play, you know, some of his best football into his early 30s and, and Amari Cooper, you know, with receivers not generally falling off until under their 30s, yeah, I mean, you could be potentially be looking at a really strong connection for, you know, five, six, seven years, and, and that bodes really well for the Cowboys. 
Yeah, you know, because you know, Des Bryant was so reliant upon his athleticism, and then once he started kind of dealing with some injuries, then that athleticism kind of took a bit of a toll. Whereas Amari Cooper, his greatest strength is his route running ability. And you look at a, a player like Larry Fitzgerald over in Arizona, who was once one of the more athletic wide receivers in the NFL, but also had a really good route running capability. And he's been able to play well into his mid thirties uh, because he's been such a great route runner. And I think that's what we're going to get out of Amari Cooper. And yes, he's a, an athletic player. He's a very quick player, but he's just a very nuanced route runner that you know, he's still going to be able to win, just like Jason Witten's able to continue to win despite you know a drop off in his quickness or um, in his athleticism as he kind of reached his mid thirties. Um, another wide receiver, you know, that had, seems to be making a lot of plays in camp so far has been Michael Gallup. Um, do you think he's about to take one of those year two jumps? Um, you know, I know a lot of people have been d- happy with Gallup. I, I don't know that he stands out as being. Um, particularly, you know, advanced or, or, or far advanced from where he was at at the end of the year. Um, and that's not a criticism of him at all. I mean, I thought he had a solid year, so I, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, he's stagnant or, or you know, he's, he's taking some sort of backslide. I don't think that's it. But I, I don't know that I'd expect much more out of him than we got last year. Um, just especially because now I think, you know, with Randall Cobb here and his ability to play outside and uh, kind of all over the formation, just like Amari Cooper's and, and you know, those matchups that they're going to present and, and the opportunities that will then present themselves. I, I just don't know that Gallup's going to see the opportunities to, to make a, a big leap in, in year two. The, the place where obviously you can make a bigger leap in year two is uh, – not even so much on him, I don't think. It's, it's uh, you know, more on, on Dak's touch on some of those deep balls that we saw. I, I think there were like three or four last year that were overthrown. Um, I remember one of them was he slowed up in the middle of the route, he thought, and then he tried to catch up. And so, I mean, that one was on him. But um, I think that'll be where you may see the biggest difference is if that kind of gets cleaned up, you may see, you know, some extra chunk plays resulting in some extra yards and some extra touchdowns. But otherwise, I, I wouldn't expect much more out of Michael Gallup production-wise than what we saw out of him last year. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm I'm going to be looking at more following him won't necessarily be yardage totals or receptions or touchdowns. It'll just be efficiency of his targets because he's just, you know, him and Dak weren't very efficient um, when Dak was throwing to Michael Gallup. And so if they're able to improve on that, you know, you want to just see a better Michael Gallup, you know, the, the numbers, it's going to be hard to say exactly what his numbers will be, but you know, a more consistent um, connection between the two of them, I, I think, are, is the thing that I'm going to be looking to see. Um, sure, and and I think you saw as uh, you know the, the year progressed, it, it got a little bit better. I mean, the catch percentage was under 50 percent for the year, um, but I mean, you looked at, you know, if you look at the first like five weeks of the season, actually, let me pull it up. I can look at it right now. One, two, three, seven, five, twelve. Okay, so he had 15 targets in the first five weeks of the season, and he uh, he came out of that with just six catches. Um, and so that's obviously not good. But, I mean, then as you saw, you know, when Amari Cooper got here and you saw they had a little bit more time to work together, you saw better performances. You saw, you know, five catches on seven targets against the Saints, three catches on four against, you know, Tampa Bay, and, and then in the, the Rams playoff game, six catches on nine targets. So, so it did improve. It, it got a little bit better. But, yeah, I think that's just a matter of, uh, you know, receiver is a really underrated position in terms of the difficulty it is to make that leap from, you know, 
the college level to the pros. Um, I, I think he's going to, you know, get down some nuances that'll make the potential connections a little bit better. So to that point, yeah, I think he, you could see improvement in that aspect of it. Um, but, I mean, in terms of last year where he was, what, 33 catches, 507 yards, two touchdowns, I don't know that I'd expect much more than that. Maybe bump him up to 40, maybe get him up to 600 yards, something like that. But, um, I mean, it's all going to depend largely on opportunities. Does Randall Cobb stay healthy? Does that open up more opportunities for Michael Gallup? Or, or Randall Cobb and Amari Cooper so good? And does, does some to- touches for Tony Pollard as a receiver kind of take away? I mean, so it's, it's a little difficult to predict. But, um, it, you know, I, I think that Gallup can improve. Um, but I don't know that it'll be necessarily obvious to everybody watching at home uh, the improvements that he made. Right, right. And, you know, you also mentioned that Jalen Guyton was kind of a, a player that stood out to you. What what was it that kind of caught your eye? Um, and Guyton, and to be fair, I know the guy that a lot of other people are, are really big on is uh, John Bea Johnson from Toledo. Um, Guyton, to me, is, you know, just a... A special kind of athlete that the Cowboys really haven't had at receiver in a long time. Um, you know, it's there, there's something really exciting about you know you've got Tavon Austin right now and Amari Cooper and John Bea Johnson and Jalen Guyton and you've got these guys here who are four 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 three speed guys and uh, that's something that the Cowboys the Cowboys really haven't had a lot of. Uh, I think the last time. They actually, and none of those guys are guys they drafted. I think the last time they drafted a receiver who ran 4-4 or faster was like 99, or Randy, Randy like under a 4-5. So I'm not even talking about 4-4, like 4-4-9 or faster. I think the last guy they drafted was 99. Oh, wow. Uh, at receiver, and I think that was like Marte Jenkins or somebody. He didn't even make it out of camp with them. And so they've, they've, not, they've looked more for short area quickness. Um, Dez was like a four or five forty athlete, but he he had like elite you know ten second splits, and so they look for guys who who have that like you know that quick burst uh, you know in those intermediate areas. Um, but Guyton is somebody who's exciting to me because he is such a special athlete. Um, I, I tweeted this back after the Cowboys signed him as an undrafted free agent, but if you look at the entire 2019 pre-draft process of so the combine and all the pro days at all the schools. Jalen Guyton was the only player in the entire country in the entire draft class working out before the draft to run a 40 time that was under 4-4, run a three cone that was under seven, and to weigh 200 pounds or more. So we're talking about like a guy who's a a big guy and and running at, you know, speeds and and showing agility that guys that size are just not showing. And then, you know, he's also got a vertical that's like 38 inches, I think. And his broad jump is, is above average. He had an elite short shuttle. So uh, I I think that, you know, he, he's got a a special ability. Um, We saw him in one-on-ones the other day on, on back-to-back reps. He ran vertical routes on uh, Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown and blew right by him. And so, I mean, you're talking, and Anthony Brown's a a four, three guy. Anthony Brown's fast. And, and Jalen Guyton, blows right by him he's shown good hands out here at camp he was a big time recruit coming out of high school coming out of allen high school he's a teammate of kyler murray's he worked out with kyler murray a lot ahead of the draft he and kyler worked together after the draft when he came to the cowboys i know like the week after he signed with the cowboys kyler and him were you know in north texas getting routes in and throwing to each other so he's a hard worker had a lot of skill uh went to notre dame never played a game there uh had some sort of issues with, with the program and that having to transfer to North Texas. Um, but, but really has, has shown a lot out here in campus, a guy who's 
a lot more polished than I think people were expecting. And, and in addition to that polish, of course, has that really great athleticism. And, and I think you see that both from John Bea Johnson and Jalen Guyton. And I think the exciting thing about moving on from Alan Hearns means you open up the possibility that you get to keep both these guys. And that would be that would be great because they, they do seem like somewhat different receivers. John Vea Johnson seems like more of a deep threat and Jalen kind of more of the, you know, intermediate, shorter area, you know, can win deep, but he's going to be more of a possession type receiver. Is that kind of what you'd, you'd see? Um, I think that because he's a, a bigger guy um, than John Vea is, because John Vea doesn't have quite the same size that Jalen Guyton does, um, I, I think because of his larger size, that means he can – you know, uh, operate more in some of those intermediate areas against, you know, press coverage and things like that. Um, but but I don't know that I would consider him an intermediate runner. I, I still think he's a guy who is probably largely a, a downfield threat, just like John Bea Johnson is. Um, I, I mean, when you look at the biggest differences, because, you know, uh, Jalen Guyton ran a 4.39, John Bea Johnson ran 4.4. Um, you know, they, they had similar, similar athletic testing numbers, but then you've got Jalen Guyton has longer arms, um, he's a shade under 6'1", and, and John Vea Johnson's just a little under 5'11", and, and Guyton weighed 212 at his pro day, and uh, John Vea Johnson weighed 188 pounds. So you're talking about, you know, a 25-pound difference between the guys who show similar athleticism. I, I think that, you know, big, physical, and, and fast combo uh, is absolutely something that you can take advantage of down the field. You can play in intermediate routes better probably with Guyton than Johnson, and not to say Johnson can't because I think he's a tough receiver. He's shown that out of camp. He'll, he'll make catches in practice. But, uh, I mean, Guyton's certainly built to, to better play in that area than others. But I, I think the what the Cowboys wanted, what I know the Cowboys wanted out of a receiver after the draft, whether they drafted one or signed one in, as an undrafted free agent, is they were done with the uh, Cedric Wilson, Michael Gallup, type of receiver where it's, you know, they're, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. They, they wanted, they wanted the, they wanted somebody to have an elite trait, whoever they got, you know, either they wanted an elite route runner that they could, you know, work around other things, or, or they wanted a guy with, you know, elite speed and they could build around other things. So I know they were looking for guys who, you know, had at least one really strong trait that they could then mold into a weapon. And so I, I don't think that, going out and getting Guyton and Johnson, they would then take that weaponry of Guyton and, and what he can potentially be and, and then just kind of use him on some of the intermediate stuff. I think they do, if, if he comes here, it's with the plan of they want to shape him into somebody who can be a real threat for them uh, in the passing game. Well, and he sounds like a guy that could potentially back up at several spots at the wide receiver group. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much experience he has at the slot. Uh, I didn't see him run much of that in, at North Texas. I haven't seen him do much of it out here. Um, but I think he just certainly could, you know, play the X or the Z. I think, I think those route combinations that generally come with those positions, he'd be able to handle just fine. Cool. Well, flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, who are the players that have stood out to you the most? Um, so, I, I mean, I think the guy that stood out to everybody uh, has been Xavier Woods, who was late to camp. He showed up on Sunday after uh, he had his first child. Uh, or his wife had his first child. He was just part of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, ha- had his first daughter and uh, would late to it. But, um, you know, I- I've talked to a lot of people this off season about Xavier Woods, and uh, he's mentally locked in, and-, and he has a real drive to 
not just you know go out there and play better. I mean, I mean, it's uh, he has told multiple people, uh, including Jane Slater. He told Jane this while we were out at camp in one of our interviews with him. Uh, you know, he, he's told multiple people all this offseason, like, his goal is to be the best safety in the league. Like, that's what he wants to be. He wants to go out and show that I am the best safety. Like, I can perform and, and become the best safety in the NFL. He, he knows he's, he can't say, I'm the best safety in the NFL right now. But, but he believes that's an attainable goal, and he's going to, you know, work his tail off to make sure it happens. And so I think you've seen, uh, you know, some of the IQ, some of the athleticism, some of the ball skills out here at practice, and, and that's been really exciting for everybody. So I think that's something that has really stood out is just in general his play and, and his mindset and he, he's got a uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder you know he's he said he, he felt disrespected by the Earl Thomas chatter and that uh, you know he took that disrespect and he didn't let it you know distract him instead he just internalizes that disrespect and that aggression he feels from it and, and he's channeling it into working and becoming a better player I know he's worked out <clears throat> at a uh, a, a gymnast uh, training facility in Rockwall a lot this offseason, you know, working on rings and trampolines to make sure that he's got his stamina up. And so he's uh, he, he's got a different type of mindset. He, he's, he's, you know, he's a tough guy, and, and he's a smart player, and uh, he, he's shown the ability to, uh, you know, make plays on the field, not just in practice, this offseason, but I mean, also you've seen it in flashes out there on the field his first couple of years. So I think Xavier Woods stands out. I, I really liked what I've seen from Robert Quinn. I've heard, you know, reports since I left Oxnard that he's, you know, had some trouble out there at camp. I, I can't speak to that. I know he lost to Tyron Smith in one-on-ones uh, pretty bad one day when I was out there. But outside of that, I mean, he, he was looking great in the drills. He was looking good on the field uh, during some of the practices. And so uh, he stood out to me as somebody who looked really good. Um, Standing out in kind of a weird way was just watching Sean Lee playing with the second-team defense um, in the nickel packages. That was just weird uh, a little bit to see him out there. But, I mean, he's embracing it. You know, he's, he's got juice out there. And so, uh, you know, I think those things are – those are guys who, who kind of stand out to me right now. Uh, Malik Collins was making a lot of plays. And uh, I, I know everybody kind of freaked out when I didn't have uh, Malik Collins on the 53-man roster, my final projection. And, uh, you know, that wasn't willy-nilly. Um, you know, I talked to people with the team and things like that. I know they were they, – they wanted to see more out of him. And if he's answering the call, great. Um, and I think he's feeling the pressure a little bit from the organization and knowing that, you know, he's got to step up and make plays. And so I think you're seeing him responding to it, and that's great. And so, you know, if I was to modify today, I'd probably say he's going to be there because of, of what he can do. But um, I think he came into camp knowing his job was on the line, not – for the future, but, you know, for, for, you know, not the long-term future, but for the immediate future, you know, by the end of this month. And so I, I think you've seen him respond and that's been really encouraging. All right. So real quickly, Dorrance Armstrong or Taco Charlton? Who makes the team? Um, who would I rather, who would I rather have or what? Who would you rather have? I, I'd rather have Dorrance Armstrong, but I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather have like, Marcus Ware, like walking off the street and getting dressed, and Taco Charlton. <laughs> I just, I, I think Taco Charlton, and I, I, I don't mean to be mean. Yeah. Okay, like I mean, he's. It's not his fault he was picked in the first round. Right. He can't control that. Right. Um, but I will say that I think the things that he can control, his attitude, his, uh, his drive, his, um, his. Uh, 
trying to think what the best word would be here that that wouldn't be too offensive. His um, his entitlement, his sense of entitlement, um, and and uh, things like that. His, his ability to block out the noise. His um, you know those sorts of things. I, I think those things that aren't his control, he's, he's done poorly with. And I think when those things are are poor, and I think you've already got some, you know natural stiffness that makes it tough to to be that you know the premier edge rusher um then then i think you get what you see right now which is next to no production and you know healthy and actives during last season and when people are asking rod marinelli about you rod marinelli saying i don't really want to talk about him let's talk about the tackles and so uh, you know i think that this is make or break for him um, I don't know that they cut him out of camp just because, you know, uh, what that would mean in terms of just, a, you know, you're carrying a number without a body. I just, I, I don't know that they'd be willing to do that to the cap. Um, not that he's, you know, a, a cap albatross. It's just, I don't know that they'd be willing to do that. They, they tend to give guys, you know, tons of chances before they cut bait and run. Um, you saw that with Chaz Green, and Chaz Green wasn't even a first rounder. Um, and so I, I just I don't know that I'd see him doing that, but I I think that if we see a repeat of what we've seen his first two years, I don't think there's any chance he's back in 2020. Yeah, 2020 it seems a little bit more palatable, you know, as a kind of organization to be willing to admit that mistake than just after two years. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I will say they've got you know typically they they've run with as little as eight defensive linemen in the last you know five six years. Um, and they've run with as many as I think they finished the roster one time with 11. Um, I think that was 2015. Um, and so it's tough. It's going to be, it's going to be tight. Um, cause you know, especially, I mean, if you end up getting Randy Gregory back, um, which is, you know, still up in the air when that may happen. Um, but I mean, if you look at the fact that let's say they do carry max 11 guys and you start looking at, you know, guys that are shoe-ins and, and let's say you know randy gregory is back by then and so you know you're going to get randy gregory so you'll have you know uh, you've got christian covington who you signed that's one you signed carrie Hyder, that's two joe jackson was a fifth round pick that they like that's three guys they like they also drafted jalen jelks do they like him enough to keep him around i don't know but that's four um you've got taco charlton you've got dorance armstrong that's six guys right there you've got robert quinn seven and these are just the defensive heads so far. And you've got, you know, Daniel Wise at defensive tackles has been really impressive so far. You've got, you know, Malik Collins, that's nine. Tristan Hill, ten. Daniel Ross, who they've always liked, that's eleven. Antoine Woods, that's twelve. And then you've got, you know, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory and, and Tyron Crawford, that's fifteen guys for a max eleven spots. And so, you know, it, while I don't think they're going to do it. Um, while I don't think necessarily they're going to move on from him quite yet, I mean, if they're if they're feeling really, you know, pressed for some of these spots and they really like some of these guys, it, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to be here at the end of camp if he hasn't stepped up. I, I wouldn't say it's likely. I put him on my final projection, but I, 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 w- I wouldn't be complacent if I was Taco Charlton. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. You know, I think he's going to be on the roster, but that's – it's shaky. It's, I'm not super confident that's going to be the case because of what you mentioned, the depth that they have both at defensive end and defensive tackle. And, you know, roster spots are always going to be at a premium. And so, you know, he's going to have to 
prove that he needs to that, that they need to keep him around for another year. Hey man, um, just real quick, I just want to get your confidence level um, that the Dallas Cowboys are going to get these contracts done before the end of training camp or before the regular season. Ooh, um, I think the Michael Thomas deal going ahead and getting done was good um, because I think that was, and I think Julio Jones will get done too. So I think that was the big one they were that that Amari Cooper was waiting on to see what that would do to his value. Um, he's not going to get what Michael Thomas would get. Um, he'll probably be a little step below it, which, you know, maybe like 17, 18 per, which I think the Cowboys were already kind of looking at and what Cooper was kind of already looking at. So I feel really confident Cooper's going to get done before the season. Um, I personally still feel confident that the Dak Prescott contract is going to get done before the season because I don't think there's any way they want that to drag on into the year and, and start, you know, dealing with dicey situations with, you know, uh, you know, uh, the franchise tag and things like that. Um, but the fact that other people who, who I like and respect and know they know a lot are just kind of expressing some skepticism about, mm, does it get done before the season? That's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause. But just from my own perspective, if, if it weren't for their own musings, I, I would feel 100% confident it gets done. Right now I'd say it's about, I'll say 80%, I think Dak Prescott gets done before the season starts. Mark Cooper, round 90 and Ezekiel Elliott, I I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do there because I think this is turning from just business to being a little bit um, where where Demarcus Lawrence's contract was starting to head. I think we're now on that kind of point with Ezekiel Elliott, and they got it done before it got too far down the road and before that got too nasty. But I mean, I think you're getting creeping up to that point where Demarcus Lawrence's you know tension was before he signed. And so if the Cowboys don't get this done soon, and uh, or I shouldn't just put it all on the Cowboys, if the Cowboys and Elliott both don't get this done soon, can't come to an agreement, then uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how much more damage will potentially be done to this and what the implications would be moving forward. But I, if I was to guess, I'd say he shows up on August 6th or, or 5th or whatever that day is uh, for, for the deadline for, uh, you know, for this to count as, uh, another year towards his service. Um, I would say he shows up without a deal. Um, they continue to work on one, and they get something done at some point this year. I don't know when. That would be my guess. Um, but I really uh, – that's just a guess. I really think it's 50-50 that he gets a deal done at all this year. So, I mean, I, I just don't know. It, it, it's hard to say on that one. Yeah, it's, you know, the kind of longer it drags out and the more um, you hear in the media, it just seems like it's getting a little bit more contentious. Hey, Bobby, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, we really appreciate you. Hey, guys, make sure you go follow Bobby at BobbyBeltTX on Twitter. Uh, make sure you listen to Cowboys Cast whenever those episodes come on. Um, hey, Bobby, man, again, thank you very much. Hope you have a great day. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Inside the Cowboys. Again, my name is John Williams. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. And make sure you go to InsideTheStar.com to read my work. Go Cowboys and have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,